If you have your Bible, turn to Ezekiel 37. Such a privilege that we can gather together. Such a privilege that we can look at the Word of God. Uh, I really struggled this week in what to actually share because I had, uh, I spent some time, I was going to prepare, and my preparation turned into three different sermons, and I was so overwhelmed that that night I added two more. <laughs> huh? And so, uh, so just, I was kind of overwhelmed again, just at the richness of God's word, that he's revealed himself, and we have this, and we can read it. It's not in some language that we don't understand. It's not written in a way that we can't follow. Uh, so my problem isn't finding something to preach. My problem is kind of nailing it down to one thing because it's just so much. I was talking with a pastor a number of years ago and he says, I really struggle finding what to preach. I said, do you read the Bible? <laughs> preach that. So we're going to do something different today. We're going to actually read the Bible. Ezekiel 37. Most of you know this story because we've talked about it a number of times. It's the... Uh, the Valley of Dry Bones, where Ezekiel is uh, told by the, the Lord to go into this valley, and he sees it's full of bones, and God asks him, can these bones live again? And being a very wise prophet, he says, you know, because I don't know if he didn't have faith or if he just uh, went, okay, I'm not going to answer that one. In the midst of that, uh, he began to do what the Lord said and prophesied to the bones. And they began to come together. And in verse 8, we're going to pick up there just for time. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. In the process of starting this church about uh, three and a half years ago, God spoke this particular passage to us a number of times People praying for us around the world had the same thing about God breathing life to dry bones. And uh, so we've come back to this a number of times. Verse 9, and he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, or the spirit, or the wind, it's the same word. Thus says the Lord, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. There was something of God's heart in breathing life into people that become an army. Doesn't say an exceedingly great crowd. Doesn't say an exceedingly great host doesn't say an exceedingly great audience. It says an exceedingly great army. Just hold on to that. Turn over to Matthew chapter 24. We've been talking about the uh, living in the kingdom. Verse 
14 of chapter 24 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Gospel, good news. This good news of the kingdom or the rulership of God. This gospel of the kingdom, this good news of the rulership of God will be preached into all the world as a witness to all nations. And then the end will come. The gospel of the kingdom is that a new ruler has come. That's what kingdom means. It means the realm over which someone rules. There is a king. And so the story goes, if you understand the whole picture, is that Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus said that in John 12, 31. Now the judgment of this world, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Talking about Satan. He says it in John 14, 30. Same thing. I'm no longer talking much for you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. 1 John 5, 19 says the whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. Or the sway of the evil one, the wicked one. And so we see this situation. What happened is that God made man to have relationship with him and then to have rulership over the planet. And in sin, we lost both of those, relationship with God and rulership. Satan became the ruler of this world. Understand that that's the situation. When Jesus comes and breaks in, a king of kings, a new lord, a new master, he brings a new kingdom. He's established a new rulership. And that's why he spent so much time speaking about the kingdom. But what we need to understand is that these two kingdoms are now in conflict. John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, that's the kingdom of darkness, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Matthew 11 and verse 12 Now from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's hard to understand. It actually is a, a word that really means is forcefully advanced. The kingdom of, of heaven is forcefully advancing. And the forceful lay hold of it. Colossians 1.13. I should just read this because you're a whole lot quicker than I am. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. We've come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of God is is called the kingdom of light. The kingdom of the world is the kingdom of darkness. And one more, Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So there is this battle, there is this wrestling, there is this conflict of these kingdoms. And we need to understand that so we understand what this gospel of the kingdom is all about. See, this concept, this conflict of kingdoms worldview was what permeated the church. It was a predominant worldview of the church for 1,500 years. We are in this conflict with the devil. That concept affected most of the world. Even those who weren't Christians still had this good versus evil mentality. But something happened about 1500 AD and that began to shift. A different philosophical idea came in from this kingdoms in conflict worldview to a kind of a blueprint worldview. Basically, that everything is, is uh, going along according to a blueprint rather than these kingdoms in conflict. It actually, philosophically, goes back to Plato. I won't, won't give you all the Plato stuff. If you're interested in that, talk to me afterwards. But he basically had this idea that there, he called them forms, but the, the higher form or the spirit realm and the lower form or the natural realm the higher form was fixed, it was, it was perfect, and anything that changed, the lower form, was unreal. It wasn't, wasn't good, and therefore it was becoming like the, the blueprint. And so that kind of seed came through Augustine, who was a philosopher, theologian, and was picked up and popularized much later by a guy named John Calvin. I don't want to get into that. But what I want to say this, it's important that we get back to the original. Because when we become part of the kingdom of God, we're involved in the conflict. See, this blueprint worldview basically says there is no conflict. Everything that happens is God. God's behind it. And so what we do is, is uh, become very passive, but also we begin to equate what is the work of the devil, and we say that's God. And so God becomes the author of evil. Or we redefine evil as something different. In fact, we define it away. And we say there's no evil, but understanding this kingdoms in conflict, there is the kingdom of God that is based on God's loving sacrifice for us, and there is the kingdom of darkness that is based on the rulership of the enemy. It's selfish. It's self-centered, and these two are in conflict. So when we're part of this kingdom, and we're partnering with him to advance this kingdom, we become part of that conflict. You still with me? I've said all this before. I'm just kind of reviewing as we get into the next part of this series, which is the gospel of the kingdom. Bottom line is this. There's only one way to enter the kingdom of God. And that's submitting to the king. John 14, 6 says, Jesus says this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. When you understand these kingdoms, when you understand what's happened, you can't come 
to the kingdom of God except through the way that he's provided, which is Jesus. You can't convince yourself of something. Well, you can try and convince yourself, but it doesn't work. He was making it very clear there's one way. But what that means is that we become followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. You've heard me say it before. It's more than just believing. More than just a, I believe that Jesus existed. I choose to become a follower. I choose to submit to his lordship, his rulership. I can believe that Jesus existed without actually submitting. I can come to a place of understanding without actually coming into relationship. And that's the danger. That's the the lie of a gospel that has been corrupted so that we say, oh, if I just believe in Jesus, I'm saved. No, unless you submit to the lordship, the rulership of Jesus, you're not part of that kingdom. Someone asked me, I was at another church a few months ago. We're talking about discipleship, and the leader said, how come some people come and sit in church and never, ever change? I said, probably because they don't know Jesus. They're believers, but not followers. They're believers, but not disciples. You can be a believer and show up every once in a while and say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'll go tick that box. It's a whole different thing to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple. I'm being conformed to his image. I've come into relationship with him. But see, this kingdom is identified with a different concept in the Bible. It's called the new covenant. See, the problem was that we're separated from God because of sin before we come to Jesus. Sin is rebellion. There is sin and there's sins. Sin is basically rebellion. We just decide, I'm not going to submit to God. I'm going to do my own thing. And then there's a whole lot of sins, and we get caught up on the sins, and we miss the, the major part, which is the sin. doesn't matter how you rebel. The problem is that you've rebelled against God. We're separated because of our sin. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one. Romans 3.10 says, there's none righteous. No, not one. You're not good. We're going to hear more about that next week. But see, when Jesus came, he did two things. The first is that he became the scapegoat in that he took our sin upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. God just didn't say, hey, it's okay that you sinned. We'll ignore that part. No, sin made a separation. It wasn't that God was angry. He said sin makes a separation. He's got to remove the thing that separates us from him by taking it upon himself. His love was so amazing that he took our sin upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sin. So what happens? We become the righteousness of God. 
That's why we worship. That's why we sing all this stuff. That's why we say, hey, this is what the kingdom is about. But not only did he take our sin, but he was also the sacrifice for a new covenant. He established a new covenant. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. From verse 14. When the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him, and he said to them, with fervent desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I say to you, I will no longer eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He's saying, in this kingdom, there is a new covenant taking place, a new connection. And so he took the cup and he gave it and said, take this and divide it among yourself. If I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He's talking about his resurrection. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup after supper. This is another cup that was set there. I've told you this before. As a prophetic picture of a new covenant. New covenant that's referred to in Jeremiah. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So Jesus was actually saying, hey, this is a new covenant. He's establishing the new covenant. His death fulfills the requirements of the old, which was a covenant of sacrifice, but he establishes a new covenant. And as I've shared with you before, that covenant is similar to the covenant of marriage in that time. And what they would do is before a young man and a woman got married, they still had arranged marriages, but the fathers would arrange and they work out all the the uh, dowry and all that kind of stuff. And then they'd have a meal, a dinner. And they'd sit there and the, the guy and his dad on one side and the woman and her dad on the other side. Aren't you glad you guys didn't have to do all this? <laughs> and uh, after the meal, the potential bridegroom takes a cup and he extends it to the future bride, and basically says, I choose you. Jesus, by his death, extends the cup and says, I choose you. But in that marriage scene, if she took the cup, with the first sip, they were in covenant. For us, Covenant happens at the marriage. We have a marriage and we make the vows and we enter into covenant. But in that culture, with the, the cup, they entered into covenant. That's why when found out that Mary was pregnant by the Holy Spirit, Joseph could have actually had her stoned or put her away because she had been unfaithful to the covenant that they'd already entered into. With that cup, he says, I choose you. Covenant says, everything I have becomes yours. And by taking it, her response is, everything I have is yours. What happens in covenant? 
the covenant of marriage, we take on a new identity. But we also take on a new purpose. And so when the king of kings extends the cup to us and we take it, we're saying, I receive what you've done for me, but I now become part of what you're doing. I live for you. And then a wonderful thing would happen. After they agreed to that, the bridegroom would go back and he would build a house or he would build an addition onto his parents' house and make a place. And when he was done, he would come and he'd take his bride and they would have a wedding feast and they would move in together. Sound familiar? Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come and take you to myself. That's that image of the new covenant. That's that image of what he was establishing. When we come into relationship with him, we join his purpose, which is extending his kingdom. And we join the conflict that comes with that. You need to know that up front. When you, when you join with Jesus and take his side in this conflict, you become part of the army that God's breathing life into. How is the gospel going to go to all the world as they witness to all nations and then the end will come? It's going to come through an army of believers, a kingdom of priests, of which we are, which we've entered into when we take when we enter that covenant with Jesus, we become part of that. We often focus on the parts that says, everything he's done, I, I get. All that he is, the king of the universe. His blood poured out for me, I'm the recipient. We focus on that, which is a great thing to focus on. But there's another side to that coin. And that is you become part of what he's doing. Jesus is not some cosmic concierge that follows you around and cleans up your messes. Yet too often we have that idea. He does pour his love upon us. But then he says, now you're part of my army. We're going to share in communion. All this was leading up to that. You knew that. Two things I want to say. Today, as you take this, let it be a reminder of our covenant with him. Not just his covenant with us, but our covenant with him. See, there's two sides to covenant. He extends the cup and says, I choose you. And by taking it, you say, and I choose you. 
I join with you and your purpose and the battle, the conflict that you're facing. Let me say this. If you've never entered into this covenant, I invite you to do that this morning if you're willing to follow Jesus. If you're willing to turn from rebellion and sin. If you're willing to recognize he took your sin so that you can enter into relationship with God. And you're willing to submit to his lordship. Otherwise, go have lunch. Because that's all it is. It's juice and a cracker. But when it's taken with faith, it's saying, God, I recognize your covenant. I'm reminded that I'm in covenant with you. I've used this illustration before that when Mary and I got engaged, I gave her a ring and she had this engagement ring and she would show everyone her engagement ring that we were engaged. Eventually, when we got married, she added another part to that ring. Uh, But... That ring was a reminder to her that she was engaged. It was something she told everyone. Look, I'm engaged. When you take communion, it's the same thing. It's a reminder. I'm in covenant with the king. He's coming again for me. But I don't enter into covenant when he comes. I've entered into covenant when I responded to his invitation. I choose you. And so it's a reminder for us, but for those who've never done it, you can, if you're willing to submit to his lordship and you're willing to recognize him. So I'm gonna ask the uh, folks who are gonna help distribute this, if you would go to your stations there. We do it this way simply because with COVID, we're not supposed to pass things. Uh, And so we're going to actually go, I'm going to encourage you to, uh, in a moment, go and just take the the cup and the cracker. There's gluten-free crackers on this table over here, but all the rest are just normal. So if you need gluten-free, go there. I'd hate for you to get a stomachache after from communion. That'd be terrible, huh? Would you stand? Lord, you breathe life into dry bones so that we can be an army. And we recognize that you've called us to be part of your army. A kingdom of priests, not just an audience, not just a a crowd, but a kingdom of priests to partner with you to see your kingdom extended, to partner with you to declare this gospel of the kingdom. And so as we take this again, we're reminded of all that we've received, Lord, we're overwhelmed by your goodness and love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In this, the love of God is shown. And so we're reminded of what you've done 
But we're also reminded today that there is a responsibility on our side to live for you. Amen. If you would go take that and, and just take it and bring it back to your seat. We'll take it together in just a moment. You're going to have to go to the tables to get it.